Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Welcome back to Inside Out. It is lovely to have you here. I hope you have had a beautiful week. So getting straight into it, today's guest is Sabina McKenzie. Sabina is a body image educator, physio, ED recovery mentor, and mama of twin girls. Sabina founded Core Confidence in 2016 with a goal to bring positive body esteem to young people. In response to her personal experience with an eating disorder, poor body image, and a controlling inner critic, she introduced preventative education to schools and communities in Western Australia. In this episode, Sabina shares her recovery from an eating disorder. She talks about ways we can make sustainable lifestyle changes to integrate a positive relationship with food and exercise, and why she is fighting to break the rules surrounding diet culture. Sabina also opens up about her experiences as a mama of twins and her postpartum journey surrounding body image and self-love. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Please make sure that you share to your Instagram stories if you do and tag at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for joining me today and coming on the show. It's so lovely to connect with you here. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to have this chat with you and just to yeah have the conversation going. Yeah, me too. So to start us off, can you tell us just a little bit about you, your family, your work and just yeah a bit of backstory? Yeah, sure. So I'm Sabina. Um, I live in Perth, Western Australia, um, with my husband and my twin daughters. So I have, I think they're almost 15 months old now, um, twin daughters. And yeah, I grew up in South Africa. I was actually born there. Um, And we moved here when I was about eight with my like immediate family into the country. So country WA in the wheat belt. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and then I kind of went, I had a really like idyllic childhood, I would say. Um, I went to boarding school then, like eventually for high school, but also in another country town, so just the slightly bigger <laughs> country town. Um, and then I didn't move to the city until I started university. So I went to study physiotherapy. Um, and yeah, I guess that's kind of the turning point in my life and where I um, I learned a lot. I had some of my lowest lows um, during those years um, and also some of my best moments as well. So yeah, I guess that's kind of, um, I went traveling after uni as well, did a lot of travel and then came back and just been settled in Perth ever since. Yeah. Where did you go traveling? Um, Europe. So I have German family as well. So um, I was always like, that was the biggest plan that I had was like, after uni, go to Europe, um, like do a year. I think I managed about 10 months because I met my husband before I left. And so he kind of pulled me back. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, that was like one of my biggest plans and, and goals that I wanted to do was to, to travel to Europe and um, work there for a bit, little bit. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah, that's a really good snapshot. Just diving into your life before having children, obviously you were yeah. trying, but what else, what else was sort of happening around that time? Um, so I, uh, for me, the transition to uni ended up being a real struggle. Um, 
Is that kind of the time that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, around yeah. university time and, you know, you're changing in your identity shifts as well. You can't be walking into adulthood and things. There's a lot of shifts there. Totally, yeah, totally. So, yeah, so for me that shift to university was just like um, a really big time of transition. And what I've since learned is that big times of transition is when um, a perfect opportunity for that inner critic, that inner mean girl to kind of spark up and to take control because there's a little bit more self-doubt and then a little bit more, um, I guess, you're listening to it a little bit more rather than when you're not in transition, you don't have that self-doubt about what's happening. So you can be really sure in your values, you can be really sure in yourself. So, sorry for the crying. That's totally okay. I'm all about it. (laughs) It's fine. And it's raining outside, so I can't even go outside. Oh, yeah, so the transition, the inner critic, um, yeah. And so what kind of happened was that I just started to really feel like I wasn't good enough. Like I really struggled to find my social group straight away. And I've always been a really like confident person, self-assured person and, and social butterfly in a sense. And I just kind of really struggled to know where I fit in. I wasn't sure about the studies as well. Like I've always been um, pretty studious and I just couldn't get my head around some of the stuff. I wasn't bad at it but I guess um yeah it was just a really big struggle and I guess I started a new relationship as well and um uh I felt that his family had a lot of different values than mine did and and that just brought around this whole shift of identity and and what I valued kind of shifted to um what I looked like and for me that was a massive shift because I thought that maybe if I could just be healthier or if I could look different, then maybe I would feel more confident again and maybe I would, um, I guess, have some control again. Mm. And that's when it kind of all started to spiral. Like it just started as a a healthy lifestyle change, just going to the gym a little bit more regularly, saying no to sweet treats, um, being extra good about what I was eating and then I started to see the numbers on the on the scale drop and I started to get compliments from people about how good I looked and what my secret was and um, how I managed to be so self-controlled when I said no to things. Um, and I gained, like, it was exhilarating. Like, I gained um, confidence from that in a way and I felt like I was being more accepted. And it was just stories in my head. Like none of this was actually true in real life, but Mm. your brain just likes to gather all this positive evidence for um, the stories that it wants to hold at your heart. Um, And yeah, that was the start of my eating disorder really. Um, And that's when I became obsessed. Yeah. And it's funny. So how many years ago was this? 10. And yeah, so I think I'm 28. How old are you? 30. 30, okay, yeah. So around the same time where this social media, like Instagram and Facebook, it wasn't as hectic as it is now. It wasn't such a driver for females to be putting themselves down and this mean girl, we weren't comparing. We didn't have this comparing game every morning when we woke up. It wasn't that bad then. And I had some similar experiences. I didn't have an eating disorder, but I remember I was 16, just turning 16, and my mum had to take me to a hypnotist to be hypnotized because you literally, and I don't think I've shared this before on here, but you literally couldn't hold a conversation with me. You couldn't say, hello, Carissa, how are you? Without me saying, 
something about my weight that I'm fat or that I'm ugly or that my skin was bad. And I would say it because I wanted you to know that I knew what I looked like and I didn't want you to judge me first. So it was about beating that person in the conversation. And it got so bad that like my family couldn't speak to me anymore. They No one wanted to be around me. And so mum took me to a hypnotist because she's like, I don't know what else to do. And it worked. It was kind of weird at the time, but it worked. But um, yeah, that obsessive and addictive behavioral traits I can definitely resonate with because that's how I felt as well. I was like, when I would lose weight, I would, it was accepted. It was complimented. My family would comment on that. Um, when I gained weight, it was sitting, let's sit down and have a talk about this. This is bad. This is wrong. And my relationship with food was the driver there. So my relationship with food got bad about 13, 14. That's when it started. So a little bit younger for me, but um, man, like it just set me on a spiral for the rest of the last 10 years. Like my yeah. relationship with food is still, still something I'm, I'm navigating and working on now. Yeah, yeah. And I really resonate with that as well, what you said. Um, even though you said, you know, you didn't have a diagnosed eating disorder, I really love to bring light to the fact that um, disordered behaviours are on a scale, right? Like at one end, we have healthy healthy behaviours. And on the other hand, we have clinically diagnosed eating disorders. Mm-hmm. But there's such a massive grey area before then. And for me, I think that disordered behaviours are so normalised in our society that that is such a huge problem area where we recognise that the, the obsession um, and the conversation and the control that we have isn't normal. It's not healthy um it's impacting our relationships with ourselves and our relationships with people around us Um, and it's okay to seek help for this like I think that people want to often wait until um, they have the diagnosis or they lose a certain amount of weight which is part of the diagnosis unfortunately Um, sometimes (laughs) Um, but it's like no let's not wait until that extreme like let's start to um, heal our relationship with food and heal, heal our relationship with ourselves before we get to that point. This is such a big thing for me because I feel like it, my entire life has been on the foundation of build, building on the teachings that I learned from such a young age. I can remember my mum had a magnet on the fridge um, and it said nothing tastes as good as thin feels. And I was maybe eight when I remember that. And like, and that's not her fault. She's done nothing wrong. This is just, you know, how it went. And I've always had that ingrained to me to be happy. You need to be thin to be successful. You need to be smaller than what you are. You know, if I lose five kilos, then I'll be happy. If I do this, then I'll be happy and never just being happy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that is just classic diet culture. Like it's just um, in that, that body of this, this world and this society where, where thinness is valued and we fear fat Um, and this billion dollar industry just is counting on us not feeling like we are ever enough so it can continuously get our money and it can can continuously grow Um, whereas we could overturn that whole um, diet world just by not giving it our money anymore Um, and that doesn't even mean you know having to pay for diets which a lot of people do like subscription based um i guess food or um exercise plans as such which you know is, is a whole nother kettle of fish in a way <laughs> but we if we invested if we invested those dollars in in therapy right in in discussing our past traumas in unpacking our belief systems around fat and thinness and and food and exercise mm. um, and actually healing ourselves from from the inside and feeling 
content with actually just who we are and, and allowing ourselves to take up the space that we're meant to take up. Um, oh, how like amazing would that be? <laughs> oh, it would be like euphoric as a, especially as a mom now for me, like first baby, it was, it wasn't a bounce back. It was hard frigging work. And I worked my gut out to get where I was. I had my wedding 16 weeks after I had Jesse, but the second baby, I just thought, Oh, I'll do the work. And then I'll look the same. And it's been more of a head game for me because now I'm at a point where I'm finally exercising for the joy and doing, yes, and doing the movements that I actually like. If I see a class and I don't want to do it, I'm not going to go do it. I don't need to do shit. I don't want to do anymore. I'm amazing. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's huge part of my health journey in the last six months even so you know I just love love um yeah your message with how you want to break you know diet culture and break the stigmas surrounding that I think that's really really important yeah yeah and you touched on it in terms of being about um your children now as well and that's definitely like spurred on a new sense of like why I guess for me as well um because I always had parents dropping off there. So I started my business called Confidence, which was around educating girls around things that I wish I'd been taught at school. So the inner critic, self-love, what health really meant. So I started that about four years ago. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that um, I had parents and and it's usually mums, but parents dropping off there and I specifically work with girls, so daughters, to my workshops. Maybe it was a three-hour workshop or sometimes I did like a four-week course. It was an hour and a half a week. And so she was dropping her daughter off um, to to this course or this workshop and whether it was the first time we interacted or the second or the third there'd always somehow become a conversation around how um, what diet she's on at the moment or how she's not having like the mum's not having carbs you know she's that we're going out for burgers tonight but I'm going to have the carbless burger um, or um, how she's really struggling with her weight at the moment and it just broke my heart because I just thought you know, I've got your daughter for this small amount of time and then she's going home and she's witnessing you engaging in these behaviours. And again, it's not mum's fault. It's not parents' fault. It's this, it's the society that we live in. But I just then realised that actually we need to change the messages that we're bringing home that, that, the, that our children are growing up with. Um, and that is like going to have so much more of an impact than perhaps anything I can do in such a short amount of time. Hundred percent, and in you know, in that mum's thought process, she would be thinking, "I'm making healthy choices. I'm encouraging health in my household. I want my daughter to understand what she's putting in her body." And you know, and I can appreciate that because I, in the past, have done similar things. Um, I have two stepdaughters, age nine and ten, and we are conscious of encouraging healthy habits because you know they're young girls, and if they you give them a big packet of chips they're going to sit there and eat the whole thing you know that's that's normal and common and teaching them hey that's probably going to make you feel pretty crappy and your skin's going to break out not a bad thing to do but for when um I know that one of them the older one was commenting saying oh are you on a diet are you on a diet and I kept saying no I'm not on a diet because I don't want her to feel like I'm restricting myself in any way and so that when she's an adult she has to restrict herself in some way Um, I think it's a really important message that every household needs to hone in on having some focus on for sure yeah, and the key word that you said there was health behaviours, and that's what it is. Unfortunately, um, the shift has become to weight, and we are clouded in our judgment and thinking that our weight determines our health, but it's actually our health behaviours. And the more that that message can get spread, um, like, yeah, the bigger impact and, yeah, the better, I think. 
A hundred percent. Totally agree. Just digressing backwards a little bit. Um, can you share your experience with recovering from an eating disorder? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I wasn't um, diagnosed at the time, so I was diagnosed retrospectively. And so for me, it was very much fighting that belief that I wasn't sick enough. Like I didn't feel like I um, was sick and then kind of had health professionals telling me that I wasn't either. Um, I was really lucky to have amazing um, family and, and close friends who knew that I wasn't myself and that I needed help. And so um, I did, did receive it. Um, and it was really lonely. It was a really, really lonely time. I just thought that I was the only one experiencing these thoughts and feelings and trying to recover. So, so I thought it was the process. Like, so you went to a GP or how did it sort of start? Yeah. Yeah. So went to a GP <laughs> with my mum and basically just burst into tears. At this point I was pretty depressed as well. Um, and then went to, got a referral to a psychiatrist um, and she worked basically out of the adult eating disorder hospital here that we have in Perth. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just a private consult as well. So again, so much privilege in being able to access this kind of support. Um, And basically because I hadn't lost a certain amount of weight in a certain amount of time, like enough weight, um, I wasn't deemed um, as having a clinically diagnosed eating disorder at that time in terms of being like anorexic. Mm -hmm. And then I had a really bad experience with this psychiatrist and I don't want it to turn anyone off seeking support, but she um, basically just wanted to blame my mum for um, what was going on. It was really, really horrible. It was a really horrible experience um, because, yeah, it, I actually had nothing to do with um, with my mum at all. If she if she'd just given me the time of day to and actually listened, um, yeah. she would she would have heard that. Um, and so from there, it became about us like finding the right support so it was really a massive dig because there wasn't much out here and my saving grace was a beautiful counsellor who ran a body image workshop um, course and it was just me and three other um, women and um, her leading this course and it was the first time that I realised that I wasn't alone that there was actually other people who struggled with these thoughts and struggled with their body image and it was just this massive light bulb and this massive turning point for me um, and oh, I'm so grateful that I found her so yeah it, it can be hard sometimes to find the right support but just keep going and that's where family is so important because if I hadn't had my family to push me to keep looking for it and to keep going with it I probably would have just given up Um, and the earlier we can get on this support the better yeah a hundred percent I think that's such an important message because I personally have um seen I reckon probably 20 different psychologists and counsellors in my time um and I can only recall two that made a difference and I think it's so important that if you don't you know as human beings we don't gel with everyone we meet so how can we expect that we're going to gel with a psychiatrist psychologist whoever we're seeking support from and know and that that's just going to be our person that we can go to and feel uh, safe and and comfortable with um and i think if you don't gel with someone and you know you're not gelling you will find someone just keep pushing through that and and you know find somebody else because there is someone for you to talk to um and that's something that i will 100 be encouraging with with my four kids because i just it's just a non-negotiable, like therapy is such an important part of your well-being journey, I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. I did a lot of reading as well. So I did my own research. I mean, I was at this point, um, 21, 22. Um, and it was really important to me to understand what was happening. And I think that was a really helpful thing for me. It was 
it was a bit earlier when when I guess the the disordered behaviors and the disordered thoughts were a bit louder um I kind of found resources that probably weren't so helpful so people who shared like anecdotal things and shared specific behaviors which then spurred on those behaviors yeah but once yeah. I got, got past that point and I guess I was I had that goal of recovery it became about understanding you know why did this happen how did this happen um yeah how can I get better like how can I get to that place of this person that I was before like confident bubbly like life loving um rather than yeah in tears every morning hating myself feeling totally out of control around food at this point you know waking up every morning saying okay today I'm going to be good like today um yeah controlled before I can control again because um I'd gained weight back and that was so uncomfortable and in in this world that again values that thinness it was like I wasn't doing the right thing but actually what I learned is that my body needed to do that and um that for me was part of health at that point I had to give up exercise for for a long time because I had such an unhealthy relationship with it and actually the healthiest thing for me to do was to not do it and as a physiotherapist who's telling people to move every day it's very contradicting in your mind but these are the things that we have to do and it is about yeah finding what's healthy for you at different stages I guess yeah, I love that that what you just said. They're finding what's healthy for you at different stages because you know, ebbs and flows, we go in and out in different seasons of our lives and we have different needs and calls for different balance that aligns with where we're at. And I think it's just that's really important to remember that what you feel and what you want now in 12 months, you might not feel and want then and work in with your body, work in with your mind frame and and just to be the best version of yourself and to tap into you know, your best future self, you need to do the work now and just sort of go with it. And it's okay to go with it, go in and out of the seasons flow, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Speaking of seasons, you are a mama of two beautiful twins. (laughs) Can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your journey through motherhood and entry into, you know, matricence being a twin mum? Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I bet it has. Um, but so beautiful. Like I, I feel so grateful and so lucky um, as, as we all are. Um, but yeah, they, they were um, definitely like a, a blessing in disguise for me. I was still working part-time as a physio while I was running my business um, on the side. It was always just kind of a passion project, hobby type of thing. I was really passionate about this work, as you can tell, because yeah. of my own personal experience. And then when I found out I was pregnant, I was initially really shocked and sad because it wasn't part of my timeline and I'm someone who's very planned and very organized um and for me it wasn't the right time I feel like I was just getting growth in my business and um it was kind of going to blow all that out of the water like how could I work and be a mom and what is this going to look like for me so much doubt so much insecurity and actually they've just told me to let go and what this letting go has done has just been like the most incredible thing I, I haven't had to go back to my physio work yet they are my number one priority but I'm still able to do the work on the side that I love to do so much <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> and I'm really grateful to be in a household that kind of allows me to do that at this point but yeah just letting go of the timeline uh, letting go of expectations letting go of plans things that I think I'm going to get done in a day are probably not going to get done um, and that's okay um, 
they've been the biggest lessons in in presence as well just taking in each moment because as you know they just grow so freaking quick (laughs) um and yeah to be honest the first definitely the first four or five months are blur to me and even the first year like I feel like I'm finally now out of the fog Mm. um where I can look back and recognize these learnings and recognize these lessons but at the time I was just doing whatever I had to do in the day to get through. So, um, yeah, it's nice now to be able to look back and see what they've taught me. Yeah, and that must have been such a pivotal moment as well in terms of this significant shift of your identity from somebody who did have compulsive control struggles in the past and now being a mum with twins and it's unpredictable and you have to learn to surrender and let go. One of the pivotal moments of motherhood for me as well those that controlled tendency you've just had to fully let go of that and that would have been would would you say that that was a part of your healing as well like in in terms of letting the control go definitely yeah 100 percent. yeah without a doubt um yeah it's just they they just tell you to they control you right like they are the control at the moment so Mm. and and it's I guess, being okay with that because I feel like I probably, there are times where I try and resist it and try and fight against it. Um, And those days just never turn out great. They're just, they're not, they're not fun. They're stressful. Um, Everyone's grumpy. Everyone's sad. Um, And why? Like, what for is is at the end of day is what, what I'm asking myself. Like, did I really need to do that? And of course there are times, you know, definitely there are times where this needs to happen. Like I'm not living in some blissful utopia, um, but it's just rem- a reminder of, of what is most important and and those precious small moments together, um, yeah, are the most important. Yeah, I feel like, you, you know, everyone tells you, you you have the warning from every mum under the sun, blink and you'll miss it. They grow so quick and everyone tells you that and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, what's that saying? The days, the days are long but the years are short. Mm. Yeah, And I just feel that in my soul right now. Like I turned around and Lola's nearly eight months and I'm like, hold on, she was five months a minute ago. Like we just had the full break with the holidays and I had my stepdaughters for the majority of that time. And it's like, I just didn't even see Lola in that time grow. I was so busy. It was so chaotic. And Jesse's such a full on two-year-old too. I've got a nearly eight months and two, and he's just crazy. Like scales all the furniture in the world like he's a nutter and yeah I feel like I'm gonna miss it sometimes and it breaks my heart but I I love I love being present with them and I love just sometimes I have to lock my phone in my bedroom and just yeah. shut the door and just go out and just sit and be with them because those little distractions that picking up of the phone or you get a call or a text or a notification I don't want that and I don't want to miss it I just want to sit and be with the kids and I definitely feel like I had to surrender a lot as well and, and learn to surrender and learn to let go because I'm someone that likes the regime. I like structure. I like Jesse wakes up at this time and goes to bed at this time. And that's just not happening at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think the important thing that just kind of came to my mind as you were saying that um, is that for me, part of my ability to be present and to let go and to, to do those things is to have time for myself and to prioritize things that I love which is my work and is being able to do what I love to do so if I don't have that in my day or in my week it doesn't happen every day but in my week then I cannot do the things that I love to do about being present and enjoying those small moments because um yeah I just get mad and flustered and in my head and I feel like I've lost myself um and that's not good for anyone either so you know it is it's it's again how we spoke about um health 
going through ebbs and flows and finding what works for you at different times. I think motherhood is exactly the same. It's finding what works for you. And we are all so different and our, our values and priorities are also different. And we all just have to do what we need to do to um, get through really and, and, and ha- take from it what we need to take from it. Yes. Um, definitely agree with you on that. Personally, when I was pregnant on both pregnancies, I really struggled with that mean girl and that inner critic. Did you find similar experiences as well? Um, I definitely, when I was pregnant, um, the body image stuff did arise. Um, obviously with twins, I was, I put on weight, right? You're pregnant, you put on weight. Oh my gosh. Game changer, right? (laughs) Um, but yeah, Yeah. um, but it was towards the end that I noticed those thoughts kind of coming up again. Um, and for me, I guess I was really appreciative of the growth and the education that I'd had in the past. Um, because even though it was more prominent, I was just able to accept it as being a, a part of this experience. Like it was okay for me to have those days and to feel like that because I knew it was just part of the process. And I knew also that I wouldn't be obsessed with it. I I guess I knew that I'd be better off not being obsessed with it. Like I'd be worse off if I became um, obsessed with trying to change it. Um, And so that, again, that lesson of acceptance of of what it was in that stage was huge. I think also that inner critic around how I was going to be as a mum you know what how was I going to be good enough again this good enough mentality um is definitely something that comes up and it still comes up like I'm not immune immune to that mm-hmm. um I think it's about recognizing and being aware of when it does come up and having a village in place who you can talk to about it or having strategies in place that work for you and those strategies change over time as well but yeah figuring out what it is that you need to do to get out of that headspace what are some strategies that you personally do lean into? I love just, first of all, noticing it because sometimes it can be there and if you don't actually stop to take note of it, it just kind of controls you more and more without you really realising. So number one for me is just being aware and just noticing that that voice is um, perking up or I guess becoming a little bit louder um, and then I like to voice it I like to voice what it's saying so sometimes that means writing it down or sometimes it means just saying it to my partner or sometimes just out loud to myself mm. and just thinking back on what would I say to my best friend if she came to me saying this thing what would I say to her yeah. um, and usually that is enough because usually I would respond in a really compassionate way and I just turn that compassion on to myself Recently, I started seeing a kinesiologist um, just regarding some past things that I'm, I really want to work through. I don't, want them, I don't want them to continue being suppressed to and show up later in my parenting. And so I'm working through some things with her and we were doing some work a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things um, she said, I want you to say out loud, I love you, Carissa. And I couldn't say it. The words could not physically leave my mouth. And she said, you have to say it. I'm like, I can't say that. Like, that's silly. And I, my body's response was physically not being able to say it. And then she got me to say it. And she does this thing. And listeners won't be able to see what my hand's doing. But she does this thing where she holds her hand up and 
and she like rubs your arm and if it gets let down when she says an affirmation or a sentence then you're completely disconnected from that and I couldn't even hold my arm up and I was using all of my physical strength to hold this arm up and she's saying say I love you Carissa and my arm would drop I love and, and I'd keep repeating it and it would drop and drop and drop and she's like there is nobody home that loves you like you have we've got some work to do here and that was big for me because she's like this is this is traumas from your childhood. This has nothing to do with who you are as a person. Now you've just got so much work to do in this self-love journey. And I was like, oh, I thought I was good. I thought I was tracking okay. But she's just sort of brought me back down to, to earth and it's like, okay, so I've got some extra work to do. So, yeah, just finding those those strategies, I guess, and leaning into them at times when you have that mean girl come up and you've got those things that roll into your brain and saying them out loud. One of the, the things that she said now is she wants me to say, I love you, Carissa. Like I would say, I love you, Lola, to my daughter. It's to say it to myself. And it's uncomfortable to even say to you right now because I don't <laughs> like I'm resisting it, but it's what she, she's asked me to do. She said it shouldn't feel uncomfortable. It should feel strong. It should feel protected and safe. But for you, it's so disconnected. And that's, that's something that we've got to work on because you can't love somebody else completely and wholly unless you love yourself. And yeah, so that's, that's sort of where I'm at in my personal self journey. And it's something that I think that we all have to work on for the rest of our lives. Oh, definitely. I congratulate you for doing the work because that's really hard to do. And yeah, she's so right. You know, saying those words, I love you, Krista, out loud is all about retraining those neural pathways in your brain um, and and laying that those fa- that foundations down for you, even if you don't 100% believe it when you first started to say it, um, to like eventually that's where you get to a point where you say it and you do feel strong, you do feel empowered and you 100% believe and encompass those words. So, yeah, good hard homework but good homework. <laughs> Thank you. I know that just from like your social media and things that you are an advocate for that like you do you, which I think it needs to be a movement on its own, like the you do you movement, because you're like, if you don't want to exercise, don't exercise. If you want to drink a cocktail, drink a cocktail. You just do whatever your body and your mind are telling you to do. And I love that so much. I think it's so empowering and it's so positive for women to be opening up the phones, seeing your face, saying all these things. It's just a healthy movement in the social media space. But I would love to know what are some practices that are non-negotiables in terms of your well-being journey that you do to take care of yourself from the inside out every day? Mm, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't actually know if there is something that I do every single day that's a non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I used to talk about self-care before I had kids, it was very much around um, face masks and... Um, like, yeah, like, like beauty, beauty regime, yeah, like candles, yeah, and all all that kind of stuff. And it definitely still is, like, that is self-care, right? Um, but for me that now... not happen in my house. <laughs> no, no. Like, if I can shower, that's amazing, right? Form of self-care, getting a shower before bed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think what it is for me now is... Um, recognizing what's happening in my head. Um, so just I'll just use an example, I guess, of what's happening at the moment. And I, I'm feeling a bit um, uh, I can't I can't even say the words because I'm feeling a very like fluffy and like I'm losing my words and like a bit spacey in my head at the moment. And a lot and what I've realized is that the last because we had lockdown in Perth the last week. 
Yes. I had so much screen time, like TV, watching TV series at night on my phone, which I'm on my phone a lot anyway. But I really feel like last night I, I finished watching um, TV at like 8.30 or 9, which isn't that late. But the girls went to bed quite early. And I just felt so dense in my head. And so for me, this week going forward, I really want to reduce that, I guess. And so for me this week, my non-negotiable is to um, take time away from screens and to go into nature um, and to put my phone away um, for specific hours in the day. And so I, I guess I'm using that specific example because it changes for me so often. Yeah, in my fluid life, like or it, like with the fluidity of, of days, um, there isn't something. It's the same with kind of exercise. You know, people say that um, that they have to exercise every day, and for me, while definitely I do know that it's better, usually better for me if I'm able to do that. Sometimes that's more stressful than actually beneficial. Even though when I know once I've finished with it, I'll be feeling better it's just not always possible or it's not always the highest priority. And for me personally, that is okay. So letting go of that idea that I have to exercise every day to feel good and rather like noticing, okay, this week I'm feel, feeling really sluggish and I'm feeling really disconnected with my body. So I'm going to prioritize that for this week. Um, and then making that the priority rather than like a non-negotiable, like, well, it's yeah, every day for a long period. Yeah, it's almost non-negotiable in itself because you're doing something where you are able to notice and be self-aware about how you're feeling every day and to go with the ebbs and flows of that. And that's the non-negotiable, I suppose, in it. You know what I mean? Like that's something that's so special. And, you know, I guess I love that you are able to notice what you need in that moment because I'm someone that's full force, like, I get up at four, I four fifteen. I meditate and journal, and then the next things go and train at five a.m. and then I get home at quarter to six and I wake the babies and I do the things and I'm very in structure and regime. And if I'm out of whack, I'm losing my mind, sort of thing. I find it difficult to tap into what my body and mindset needs within a moment. So it's something that you should, yeah. I guess I commend you on that because I can't do that. And that's a really special way of introducing positive habits mentally for women. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I guess it's just a, a different perspective. And and this, in the same token that you commend me, like I commend you. Like I would love that to be that like firm in my routine. And and for a time uh, before children, like I was able to do that. And that just doesn't serve me at the moment. Maybe mm. it will again in the future. But I think rituals like that, journaling, meditation, moving your body and having it structured um, is so important as well you know it just depends on what works for you oh definitely and look I, it hasn't been this way for a, a long time when I was pregnant with Lola she was I I think at about eight weeks I wasn't no from eight maybe nine weeks I wasn't able to exercise I got really bad ligament um I think it's called round ligament pain or something and I wasn't able to even go for a walk like it drove me crazy as someone that moves so much so my I guess my daily affirmation when I wake up is like two feet and a heartbeat let's go like you need to make up for the time lost it's not because I want, I'm doing it for a negative, I guess, spin of losing weight. It's for the mindset. It's for the mental exactly. therapy. Yeah. yeah. For me. So yeah, that's why I love it so much now, which is, it's cool. It's different perspective and it's just interesting, isn't it? How everyone Definitely. operates and thrives so well in different ways. Yeah. And it's the intent behind it. And and once we allow ourselves space to find those ways, like that is where the beautiful growth happens. And like listening to podcasts like this or reading some books or, yeah, like opening your mind 
new things to, to figure out what works for you. Oh, yes. I love it. That. Thank you so much for your time today. It has been beautiful chatting to you. Thank really you so much. No worries. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.